When you get hit by a drought and you're dealing with cattle and grass that just aren't growing, it's good to have multiple tools at your disposal to get through those hard times. When I say tool, I don't mean an actual piece of equipment. I mean management tools you can use when forage and water resources have become scarce. Having more than one management tool in your tool shed is important too, because sometimes you never know when one is going to work and when one isn't. Nothing wrong with having backup plans on top of backup plans. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're talking herd management during a drought. Welcome back to the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast series, Getting Through Drought, a series that looks at the best management practices cow-calf producers in Alberta can use to build up the resiliency of their ranch against drought. So right now we're in the halfway point of the series. And so far we've covered how to make a drought plan, dugouts management, riparian area management, feed alternatives, and how mycorrhizal fungi behave under drought conditions. For the remainder of the series, we're mainly looking at grazing management to prepare for a drought and how to adjust your grazing during a drought. To start things off, ranchers Blusette and Mark Campbell out in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, will share some of what they've learned on grazing and herd management in this episode. You might be thinking right now, hey, wait a minute, this is the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast, the podcast that highlights the land management practices and farm tech that are good for the climate and good for farms and ranches in Alberta. Why are we interviewing people from Saskatchewan? Well, one, producers in Saskatchewan do face some of the same challenges producers in Alberta face. It's not like when you cross the provincial boundary between Saskatchewan and Alberta, you suddenly go from bald-ass prairie to the tropical rainforest. Come to think of it, that would be kind of cool if that did happen. Two, you can listen to the funny way I pronounce Saskatchewan. Come on, don't lie to me. I know you were all thinking it the first time I said it. Three, and really what sealed the deal for us. The Campbells have some really great insights to share when it comes to the people side of things. When we talk about BMPs, we often don't talk about people. The focus is usually on forage, livestock, and water. But at the end of the day, drought planning and implementing those BMPs all boils down to people. Here's Mark and Blue Set introducing themselves and Bar C Ranch in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. My name is Mark Campbell, and uh, I'm a third-generation rancher on the BBRC Ranch at Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. I live with my wife, and I have two sons, Andrew and Birch. One's 20, and the other one is 17. And I'm Bluzette Campbell, uh, obviously married to Mark. We moved here from Montana. Um, I'm originally from the States. We moved here in uh, 2002, so we've been living and working on this ranch for 20 years. Super happy to be ranchers, despite some of our natural challenges. We have three families living off of our land base. So we work with Mark's brother, Scott, and their parents, Don and Bev. So, And we don't have any off-farm income unless you include some consulting. So as you mentioned, we are holistic management practitioners, 
And that comes with some fun projects that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. But I do now have some consulting where I go off the ranch and teach courses around our own experiences. But we don't consider that off, you know, off farm income because without this ranch, uh, we wouldn't have the knowledge to be able to share with others. Uh, we're a cow calf long yearling. So we calve May, June, and then we generally background our calves and grass them again the following year and sell them in the fall. So they're, you know, 16 months old at time of sale is our production practice at this point in time. It's been other things over the years, but we've found that since we're talking about drought, that when, when it got dry in 03 and 04 is when we switched back into the yearlings. Our thought process was that May and June calving cows are not saleable and hard to move. And so a part of our drought reserve program is our yearlings, which can be shipped anywhere at any time. If things are tough, that's one of our management practices, I guess, is part of the reason that we're in the yearling. We've thought that that's our drought and or flood reserve. It's just kind of important to recognize that in this business, we need to be very flexible. And so we like cattle. And um, we know that they can be used as a tool to improve the land. So whether that's in the form of a cow or a calf or a yearling or any other grazing animal, we just happen to really like cattle. So we're flexible within the cattle. I mean, so far we haven't decided to graze llamas or sheep or anything else in this area. But um, yeah, we just like to be flexible so that the organization of our business can change from time to time, depending on what we think is profitable. And here's the story behind the ranch's name, Bar C Ranch. There are some amazing coincidences in the story, by the way. Well, this place, my, my grandfather bought it in 1948. And this is a river crossing here. There was a ferry ran by a fellow named Barnes and it was called Barnes Crossing. And when my grandfather bought it, the brand came with the place and he kept the brand because his name was Bruce Campbell and his wife's name was Claire. And so they just stuck with the same brand because it encompassed their initials. That's the story that I've been told all my life. So I'm sure it's right. <laughs> and I also happen to like it because it fits for my name, Bluesette Campbell. So I've just adopted it very readily. And our son, who seems most likely to want to take on the business perhaps later on, is Birch Campbell. So we'll just keep it in the family. What are the odds? Well, okay. <laughs> Up next, the Campbells go over some of the environmental factors they have to work with on their ranch. We're in a fairly, what I would say used to be a consistent rainfall country. It's not as much as it used to be. We were kind of a 14 to 20 inch annual rainfall. And that's from say the 1st of April till October is what I'm talking. It hasn't been in the 20 years that we've been here. I don't know that we've had 20 inches. Just in the flood year we did. Other than that, if you could get 15 would be great. The rain is definitely different than what I remember as a kid. We used to always have April, May rains where were very common and not the last six, eight years, I would say. We basically had, I guess I can talk a little bit about, you know, in 2021, you know, from the 1st of April till the end of August, I think we had two and a half inches, two and three quarter inches. And then we had more after that, but at that point it's too late for our, sh we're a short growing season here, 15th, 20th of May till you know, maybe the 10th of September, if you're lucky. So because we are so far north, it, it's, we've got to grow a lot and we don't have a very big window to do it. And we've noticed that not only is it coming later, but that the precipitation events are coming a little more extreme. 
So we'll talk about, you know, the flood that we experienced and also these sort of erratic rainfall events where we have a whole bunch and then nothing for quite some time. So, you know, when we say 14 to 20, as I'm sure most people would understand, that doesn't mean that every Tuesday we get a half inch, <laughs> unfortunately. So in April and May, again, nothing. Like we had bitter cold April, nothing in May. And then in June, I think from the 10th of June till the end of the month, we had 11 and a half inches. So we had lots of flooding. And then July and August, basically nothing and hot and dry and started to burn again until September. We had some rain. So really erratic. My dad was at a conference, I don't even know when, in the 80s. And Alan Savory told him that storms will get more erratic. So you'd have more severe weather events, whether it's severe droughts or flooding or and dad thought, well, he'd never see it in his lifetime. But in our local little thing area here, I would say it's it's not as consistent as it used to be. All the factors that are driving it, I mean, I don't know, but it's definitely the weather's changing, the weather patterns, I guess. And our precipitation, Mark will talk about our soil types a little bit, but soil types have a lot to do with what happens when the rain falls, and so does our management. So do you want to talk about that before? Mm. Yeah, so we're we're kind of about 4,500 acres of ground here all in one chunk which is a big advantage for us as far as grazing and how we're doing things we're, we're kind of different than most people in that we have three very distinct soil types so we've got because we're a river frontage ranch we've got about one-third of our acre is what i would call river silt highly productive holds water reasonably well it's not a clay-based soil we've got about a third of our ranch that is what i would call peat moss soil very heavy boggy if there's too much water, you can't even get on it. And a lot of the prairies won't understand this of, you know, bogging cattle down and horses down and musking. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what it is. And then the other third is basically jack pine sand hills. Needs rain once a week. It will grow grass. Needs to have constant cover. The more litter and biological capital you put on top of it, the better it is. If you get an inch of rain a week, you can grow tons and tons of grass. And if you don't get it, it just won't. The sand holds no water. It's high water table land. Like the water is only, even in the drought here in 03, we dug a hole and it was only eight feet to water, but it's not close enough to come to the surface. You know, most people only have one kind of soil type and, and we have three different, we're kind of insulated a little bit against drought because our lowland will grow even in the dry years. And that's kind of our saving grace. The my land will be poor, but the lowland will, will produce. It's not high quality forage, but it, Cows will it's, eat it. it's, it's slew grasses and sedges and it's volume. It'll grow big volume. So you can see with the different soil types of how important it is that we have consistent rain. If a third of our ranch is dependent on moisture because it's all sand, it's basically beach sand that once the rain hits, it's going to drain. So we try to do whatever we can to capture that and hold it as long as we can. But because it's sand, you know, it'll just keep dropping. So we're very thankful to have the lower land so that in the dry years, there's still something growing. So Mark and Blue Set not only have to contend with drought, but flooding is a big issue given where they're located. Lucette actually mentioned during the interview that 80% of the ranch was submerged in 2020 because of flooding. 
The next question I asked the Campbells was what were the key differences between how they managed their herd and grass in a good year versus a drought year? I would start with saying that the grazing principles of holistic management don't change depending on your conditions. We use an 85-day recovery. From the time we graze a pasture, we won't come back to it for 85 days. And as we've been doing that for 35 years. I'm not sure exactly when we started. 85, I think, was the first time we... But anyway, we've been on this 85-day recovery for a long time. When it gets dry, the tools that we have to manage that, the first one is to combine all your herds together. The second one is to slow down your grazing. Like, So if there was two days grass and you were leaving one, you would slow it down as much as you can and take as much as you can in your first time in case it doesn't grow back. The third thing that you can do in a drought is is to supplement with feed the pasture that you do have. And the fourth one, and, and this is one that probably doesn't get used enough in my opinion, is destocking. It's hard to make that decision and I'm not saying that it isn't. I think that's one that people in the industry struggle with, and ourselves included, we're not perfect at it. We, we have destocked the last two years with tough conditions, and you know we did it, maybe should have done it a little sooner than we did. That, that's probably your you know the four tools that, that are available to us. One fellow we know used to say that when the grass is dead, you can't hurt it. So even though you're grazing extremely severely in a drought, you're not hurting anything because it's not growing anyway. If you're grazing some of your litter, which is the stuff that's been trampled down, that's not ideal, but sometimes it can be helped. I think too that the recovery period for every operation is going to be different. It really depends on your context, you know, what your goal is. But the 85 day has been a really good guideline for us. And we choose that because we believe that it allows enough time for every species that we want to recover. So to reach its full maturity to that reproductive or seed head stage, that flowering stage. And so when we do that, we're building in good years, like ideal growing conditions, we're actually building our soil. We're building our diversity and the grazing materials that our cattle will use so that in a tough year, we've built up the reserve. You know, in theory, that's the ideal situation. So what Mark is talking about when we get to a tough year, let's say drought, the plant begins to slow its growth because it doesn't have ideal conditions. So we call that a slow you know, slow growing season because there's not enough rain. So the plant starts to harden off, die off. And what he's saying is that we can stretch our recovery period by staying as long as we possibly can, even if that means you know, having the cattle like lick every blade of grass that's from years gone by. We'll take that biological capital because we can, and we know that we have the tools to rebuild that, and that we're not actually harming that individual plant because it's not growing. It's in a dormant phase anyway, so we'll stay there as long as we can and take everything we can in a rough year, knowing that we've got a biological bank account to draw from and that we know how to put deposits back onto it in the future. I would just say that like, you know, most of our ground is native never been broken or brushed or anything like that but one thing that it helps you a lot in a dry year is having diverse species like having only one kind of grass growing if the conditions aren't right then you're in trouble 
when we've done species identification over the years, you know, in a given pasture, we'll have between 20 and 25 different things growing. Having the seed bank full of different things that grow under different conditions, and I'll just use a simple one, is clover. You know, when we don't get any rain, we have no clover. And the years when we get rain, so when there's no clover, something else grows. And usually the first one is a dandelion comes in because the clover kind of creates a bare ground patch and dandelions like bare ground and that's where they grow. If there's water, then it'll be straight clover and you can't find a dandelion. That's an easy one to notice when you're just out fencing or riding or whatever it is you're doing. But having a, a vast seed bank is, or, you know, diversity, I think is really important. And our cattle don't care, you know, sure they like clover but dandelions are also an extremely good feed source high in protein so they'll eat what is available to them and i also think the key to the grazing whether it's ideal or non-ideal as mark said they don't the principles don't change but understanding a few key concepts around what overgrazing actually means what a recovery period actually means and how to use those tools to create an effective grazing plan are all things that um, have really made the difference between, you know, three families living off of one land base, especially during tough times. Next up, the Campbells go over some of the things they do to prepare for a drought. I would say plan. As we've already mentioned, like when you have ideal growing, growing conditions, the more you can have a pretty solid grazing plan, stop the overgrazing, move your animals uh, frequently, have a solid recovery period. Those are all going to help you in difficult times. I would also say um, don't wait until crisis happens for you to start having meetings with your spouse or your family or whoever it is you're in business with, even if it is with just, you know, your neighbors or your banker or the person who, you know, hauls your cattle away. If you've got a truck driver, you want to probably be in pretty good communication with them if you think you're going to destock right away. You know, having that kind of open communication is probably the best laid plan into preparing for the next drought or flood or whatever sort of adverse factors you you may face. But taking care of the land while you can and putting things into the biological bank account while you can is only going to help you when when times get tough in a in a drought. The biggest one is to have a grazing plan and implement it. You know, when conditions are tough, you monitor the pastures to see what's it's not just where the cows are, it's where you were a week ago. And is your growth behind you? And you've really got to be on top of it when things are tight. You know, in a good year, you know, we move the cows based according to our grazing plan, not according to what the grass is in the pasture that they're standing in. Like if I have them in a pasture and I only need to get one day there and I'm only going to take half of it, well, that's what I do. I don't wait. And, you know, it's sticking to your recovery. The more you can put back into the land, the better off you're going to be prepared for the next drought. So when you have a good year, it's maybe not the best idea to well, run out and I'm going to raise my stocking rate right away. You might want to think about long-term management and, and how, how it's going to look well. What are you going to do next year? It's dry and you bought all these extra cows. You know, so I, I don't I think that's, and the big thing is to, is to do it and to stick with it. It's not overnight. If you're getting ready for a drought this year, you should have started five, you know, starting today is better than not starting at all. So I think it takes time, but we have to be doing our job of managing. I think another thing to prepare, so 
let's assume we have five years before the next drought. I know that's a silly assumption is to start with that grazing plan, but also to educate yourself. And part of that is just maybe this year is more of an ideal growing condition. So go out when you move your cattle and look at the pasture that they were in right before then. And then also right before that, and dig a hole with a shovel and educate yourself on what it looks like, what's happening, you know, have things begun to regrow. You know, you can recognize different stages and different species and where they are. And do that now when you're not as stressed as what it is like in the middle of a drought, because it's harder to do when you're in crisis management to take the time to educate yourself. Because the drought in 2021 was so bad out here, that's why we decided to do this series on drought. I asked the Campbells if there's anything from the drought of 2021 that has stuck with them to this day. We were in in really bad shape uh, in the spring of 2021 because of the severe flooding from 2020. A lot of our land was covered with water for three to four months. And so the spring of 21 came in So the ground was saturated in the fall and the frost was extremely deep. The ground was frozen eight, 10 feet. I don't know. And in this country with, if you don't get spring rain, the frost doesn't come out of the ground. And so our growth conditions were just horrid in April and May. It started to grow in June, but our low spots, it looked like you'd sprayed them and cultivated them. And so on our place, we did a pasture rating that year, and I mean, some of our pastures, we figured 60 to 65, 70% of it was growing nothing. Wow. And we didn't get any rain. So I think we sold our yearlings, all of them, in the middle of July, because we just, we were we were in trouble. And that took quite a bit of pressure off. The first time around, there there was nothing there. It was, this, the soil was black, and it was, uh, it kind of had a scab on it. So we tried to get them to walk through to kind of break it up so that things would grow. Kind of worked. Yeah. Well, we thought it it looked like the moon, but smelled like the outgoing tide. <laughs> it was really <laughs> That's bad. interesting. Okay. So the first round, most of that ground had nothing. And the second round, we ended up with some weeds. Uh, we did lose cattle to poison. With the, the amount of water, we grew some toxic plants that we, we lost we lost some. So that's part of a flood is that you get, like we do grow plants here that will kill cattle, but it's normally in low ground that we can't get to. You know, we don't normally graze it till July. And by that point, there's a lot more desirable things. And the number of those poisonous plants is small compared to the overall diet. It doesn't kill them. In the dry year, because of the conditions the year before, that was not the case. And so we lost a few to that. Yeah. I blame that more on the flood than the drought, I think, yeah. but uh, that was, that's an environmental thing for us. That was kind of new, like the losing animals to poisonous plants, we generally don't have very often. I think one of the stories that, that I will remember and, you know, tell my kids long after we're done working here is that you can manage through a drought or maybe you can't either way caring for your people and taking care of your team is an important factor. Because if in an extreme drought or a series of of years that do not grow and you end up having to sell the land, you still have the people. 
Mm. And whether you have their mental health intact or not is entirely up to us and how much we invest in our people. And it can be really hard because it's stressful during difficult times. And then you have everything else that's happening. I mean, in 2020, there was the pandemic that was happening at the same time. So everyone's stress level was high and we were underwater. And then the next year, it's you know extremely dry. And then we had an extremely hard winter. And not saying that that we face challenges that you know are unique to us. Like everyone is having very difficult time. When the ranch is gone, or if the ranch is ever gone, and we're still going to have the people and caring for those people is an essential part. Because if you don't, you may not have the people. And we've all heard of some, you know, horrific stories of people ending their their own lives just because they can't manage the stress and they lose hope. We make investments into our biological bank account. And we make investments into our social bank account as well. By this point, you might be starting to understand that other reason we wanted to get the Campbells on the podcast. We definitely wanted to hear about their grazing management practices and their drought plans. But at the end of the day, you might have the best drought plan in the world. But getting through a drought, if you're a cow-calf producer is always going to boil down to the people involved in your ranching operation. The Campbells have some great nuggets of wisdom when it comes to the people side of things of drought planning and drought plan implementation. You know, when it's, when it's stressful and it's hard for for me to assess what you need or you need or so part of the team is that it's incumbent upon people to kind of be able to say well i feel like i need this or dealing with people's what they need emotionally or men- mental health or whatever the proper phrase is is, is difficult i i think we we sort of subscribe to an accountability agreement that it is you know, the responsibility of each individual to be able to identify, I'm not doing well, I need something. And I might not know what that is necessarily, but I have a team of people that can help to ask questions or arrive at it. And Mark's dad is always notorious for saying, you know, if you feel like you're getting behind in work, you know, maybe you need another day off. And, you know, while that's not always practical, um, it is speaking to the mental health aspect of it you know if you've got a lot of work to do and you don't have a mind to do it it's still not going to get done i mean you can sit and try and spin your wheels but you might be better off taking half a day or a day taking a mental health day doing something that will relieve some of that stress and put you in a better headspace to be able to encounter all the work that is ahead of you. So we try to do that here. It it is hard in practice to do all the time, you know, to be the well-oiled machine every single day. We do recognize that it's hard work, but it's some of the most rewarding too. You know, when it get, comes right down to it, we're still here 20 years later with all kinds of adverse factors and, you know, we anticipate still being here for years to come. We're not going to change our practices now about how we care for our people, recognizing that sometimes it's easier than others. I think a lot of it has to do if you have already had the conversation. So if you do the pre-planning, which is to kind of sit down with your family or your team, or maybe it's just your spouse, is to understand what your core values are. Because when it when it boils down to, you know, we want to care for the land and, you know, we want to, ha- you know, provide healthy food for our family 
you know, we want to have leisure time. You know, we want to be able to communicate openly with one another in a trusting and safe environment or whatever those values are. You've had the conversation. You know it is important to everyone on that team that those those values are expressed in your day-to-day operations. So when it comes to a drought plan, all of the having a drought plan or being more resilient during difficult times all lead towards better quality of life, open communication, you know, providing healthy food. So I believe you just got to get back to the basics and say, well, what's important to us? And when when you do that, it's really hard for somebody to say, well, I don't want to be part of this plan mm. because it does get you to those those prioritized values. But trying to prioritize your values in the middle of a drought or in the middle of a crisis is really hard to do. So it just puts more emphasis on doing that pre-planning before you get to difficult times. Okay, that makes sense. Or anything to add? You know, for us, if we're talking about a drought plan, well, then I just would equate that to your grazing plan. The grazing plan, we all do it together. And so that's to have, if you were in an owner-employee situation, I would have my employees involved in, here's what I'm trying to do. And if you don't have buy-in, it's pretty hard to, and I don't think it matters what your what your business or operation is. If you're trying to implement a plan and your employee or whoever family member says, well, I don't even know what you're trying to do, so I'm not going to put any effort in. So I think sharing your goal of your grazing plan or your land management goal, like we, we do the holistic way. So we, we have a three-part goal that describes our land base. And, and so I think that's, you know, because we're all owners, we, we have a vested interest here. If I'm in a situation where I it wasn't that way, well, I would definitely have my employees help and do the grazing plan. And the goal setting, like the goal setting for me would say this, but you know, you want your employees to have a vested interest in your goal or, you know, and, and I don't remember, like we used to have employees here when I was growing up. And as far as I can remember, they were always involved in the grazing planning and, you know, had the buy-in and could see the changes that were taking ownership of these things. Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have an internship program right now and that intern is very much a part of our day-to-day planning. They understand to the best of our ability, we create the understanding with them about why we're doing what we're doing. If somebody just is told what to do and go open this gate, they may not fully understand what we're trying to accomplish. So we bring them on board as early as we possibly can so that they understand and become part of that greater vision, that vested interest, I think. So, you know, in talking about people, whether they're your relatives or your business partners or not, anytime you can create understanding, you have more more power, more minds together going in the same direction. And to wrap things up, if you're a cow-calf producer, or really any kind of producer, and you're listening to this right now, here are Blusette and Mark Campbell's words of advice to you for getting through a drought. Well, I guess I would say that follow the four principles that we talked about, you know, combine your herds, slow down, supplemental feed and destock. And I would really encourage people to say, like the last time that we destocked, we said if it doesn't rain by June 25th, a significant rain, meaning an inch and a half or better, we're going to sell the yearlings. And that's what we did. And I, I think that setting a date and, and sticking with it, like nobody wants to sell their yearlings in June. And I understand that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you have to sell either. So we destocked two years in a row. One year we sold early and the year before that, we actually sent them to the feedlot 
for eight weeks and then we sold. Mm. And so destocking just means get them off the pasture. There's lots of things that can be done, but I think that's a decision that people really struggle with is should I get rid of something? And I, I think, you know, my advice to myself is if you've decided that stick with it and do it in the end, even if it rains, well, then you'll have more forage for what you got left and you can put some and use it next year. I think you're better off that way than you are to try to fight it till the, cause you can make it rain. It's tough slugging. I know. Well, a couple of things that come to mind is Mark's dad is an eternal optimist and he wakes up every morning and say, well, we're one day closer to rain and <laughs> he's not lying, but <laughs> it's kind of hard to swallow sometimes. Okay. Um, but the other thing that he often, you know, will say is that failing to plan is like planning to fail. And so, you know, making sure that there are there's time or that you create time because we all have the same amount of time but to create the time to make a plan whether that's for your people for your land for your finances and have the discipline to follow up and many people get discouraged because they'll make a plan and the next day they wake up it's like well that was a waste of time because we can't do that but you're one step closer to a better plan being in the perspective or the position that you are because without a plan, you're far more likely to struggle than if at least you have the outline of a plan to change or to, you know, to monitor and tweak and make a little bit better. And I think that a lot of people just get discouraged because if the plan, if you can't do exactly the plan, then what is the point? But that's exactly the point is that you're giving significant time and energy towards creating a plan that will put you in the best position to make the next best decision. We hope you enjoyed our seventh installment of the Getting Through Drought series. We've got more episodes from the series coming your way soon. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about grazing management, we recommend downloading and listening to episode 52, the very first episode we did for this series. You might also want to listen to episodes 40 and 24 because they're all about amp grazing. For the people side of things, it comes up here and there in a lot of the episodes we do on this podcast, but we've never done one specific episode on the subject. But if you are really interested in that one, I bet you that there's some few gems in episodes 25 and 27, and especially episode 50 with Kelly Sidorak from Holistic Management Canada. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Shiana Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by Results-Driven Agriculture Research, or RDAR. My parts of this episode were recorded in Calgary. So that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.